1: Welcome to another episode of Star Wars Action News. This is Marjorie.
2: And this is Arnie. And we have a jam-packed show for you. We've got Jerry coming up. A book review by Brock of John Jackson Miller's new book Kenobi. A review, finally. It's finally here. The sideshow premium format, Shakti. i I'd been promising that review since before Comic-Con because I kept getting the emails. Oh, prepare your credit card. It's going to ship. <laughs> really going to ship. We
1: mean it this time.
2: Someday, it's going to ship. It finally shipped. I got it this week. Before we get into the show, I do want to suggest all of our listeners who collect action figures, check out the recent Marvelicious Toys where we talked to David Vonner. It was a really insightful look at action figure collecting from a former Hasbro senior product developer. And he's not afraid to talk... Every detail about figures, and while there's a lot of stuff about the Marvel Universe line, there's also a lot of insights into action figure collecting as a whole. How action figure collecting has changed from the 80s, 90s, and now. I really think he shared a lot of insights and changed the way I look at both Star Wars and Marvel action figures.
1: Plus, he's just a lot of fun to talk to.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you can check that out at MarveliciousToys.com. But first off, store reports. I've been going to Toys R Us quite regularly looking for that Biggs X-Wing. I was pretty bound and determined not to buy it this week, though, because I'd say about once a month, Toys R Us has those 20% off coupons. Sometimes I get them with my receipt when I purchase something. Sometimes they come by email, but... I've been looking for the big X-Wing. $60, I think, is a little high for it, but easy enough to not buy when our store doesn't get them in.
1: That is very true. We went, actually, yesterday, the day before we recorded, and it was like tumbleweeds blowing through the Star Wars section. There really wasn't much there. There was some new stuff, but they really haven't changed their stock. They've got this huge Star Wars aisle, and a quarter of it's on clearance, permanently. What
2: are you talking about? There's all kinds of new stuff. New Angry Birds...
1: Did you hear those crickets? Did you, did you hear them? The game's coming out in September. Are you playing the game? Nah. Alright then.
2: There were new figures. Last week they had a whole bunch of the mission series and it looks like they've pretty much sold through. They had jam-packed pegs when I was there last week. Gone this week. I found some more Saga Legends but did not find the Yoda I'm looking for which is the only one I need to have a full set of openers and did not find any Black Series 3 and 3 quarter there. They did have the Black Series 6 inch Of course, no Sand Trooper. That seems to be the hot figure. I did see the Sand Trooper today. Really?
1: When I went grocery shopping just before we recorded, they had him at our local Meijer.
2: You told me I would have told you to buy one because even though I have these all on order from Hasbro Toy Shop, they're going to ship! they're going to ship someday. I probably would have gone two on the Sand Trooper. I could always custom up a pauldron there. And I hear it's a phenomenal figure.
1: I can go back and get it for you.
2: My big find was over at Walmart. They had what looked to be a pretty new stocking of Black Series three and three quarter inch figures, but no six inch there, go figure. And so I was able to pick up All of those except Padme, and Padme appears to be the hard-to-find figure in the three-and-three-quarter-inch line. Although, again, in the it's-going-to-ship, I did finally receive an email from Toys R Us about my order from them when they had the discount, buy one, get one half off, and their email said, we have no idea when these will ever ship. And so I'm...
1: (laughs) I'm sorry!
2: It said if it wasn't shipped by mid-September, they'll just cancel the order and refund my money. But I then called them to cancel the order preemptively. I'm like, why wait till September? And they go, oh, we can't cancel the order. It's shipped today. It shipped today. You just sent me an email saying you had no clue when it was going to ship. You sent that at 7 a.m. And by 1 p.m. you've shipped it.
1: They don't want to cause any trouble.
2: But that's what we are finding. But for reviews of those Black Series figures and what he's finding, here is Jonathan.
3: Hello and welcome back to On The Pegs, where we discuss what's being found in stores and online. I'm Jonathan, and you know what? There's new toys out there! That's right, the long drought is finally over. Black Series is hitting, Mission Series is hitting, Saga Legends are hitting... Every store I go to seems to have new stuff, and after such a long time without, I actually have to restrain myself from just buying stuff because I haven't seen anything in stores for so long. Now what I'm seeing in my area is that the Mission series and Saga Legends seem to be everywhere, but the Black Series 3 and 3 quarter and 6 inch figures seem to be harder to find. I'm also finding lots of other new Star Wars items when I visit my local stores. I've seen 8 new Lego sets at Target, Walmart, and Toys R Us. They've redone the ATTE which comes with five minifigures and retails for around $100. The Republic Gunship, which comes with seven minifigures and a speeder bike for around $120. And Jabba's Sail Barge, which comes with five minifigures and a Jabba Maxi figure. They also have some new ships, including Jek-14 Stealth Fighter from the Yoda Chronicles cartoon, which looks remarkably similar to an E-Wing from the Expanded Universe. It has four minifigures and costs $70. There is a Corporate Alliance Tank Droid with three minifigures for, $20, $20, a homing spider droid with four minifigures and a mini spider droid for about $30, a Mandalorian speeder with three minifigures including a very cool mecha mall for $25, and a duel on Geonosis set with four figures and a speeder bike for $40. Each of these sets has new minifigures, so if Lego is your thing, definitely check these out. When I last visited my local Toys R Us, I found the new 31-inch Vader, but I didn't find it in the Star Wars aisle. What was interesting is that he was near the superhero stuff, and on a shelf next to a 31-inch Superman. After getting a good look at this, I agree with what Arnie said last week about these. They are very cool, but I'm just not sure how they would fit into my collection. Also, when I was at Toys R Us, I picked up the new vintage X-Wing fighter. Such a callback for me. I remember seeing that orange and black box when I was five at the top of the toy shelf in my local store. I wanted it so badly that I saved up all my allowance for two months so that I could get it. This X-Wing is a bit more expensive, and many of the examples I've seen in my area have had damaged boxes, which, in my mind, ruins one of the best features of this item. Speaking of damaged items, I came across the first examples of bubbles falling off the cards this week. It was kinda surreal to see. A Scout Trooper card was hanging on the peg with a bubble and figure below and another figure was almost off the card as well. Makes me very concerned for my mint on card collection. I spoke with the swan packaging expert, Jerry, and he informed me that it's not actually glue that holds the bubble to the card back, but rather they are heat sealed together. Wonder if I should bust out an iron to see if these can be resealed. I've also been seeing a lot of the new Star Wars Angry Birds sets. Now, I don't collect this line, but my 7- and 9-year-old boys have conned me into getting them a few sets, and I'm sure I'll be picking up a few of these new ones as well, especially as they work with the iPad, which my kids love to borrow and play with. I've been seeing individual sets and a few of the multi-packs, but what I really found myself liking was the Pig Darth Vader case. Now, as I've been able to get my hands on multiples of the new 3 and 3 quarter inch Black Series figures, I figured this would be a good opportunity to do a quick review of the initial wave. First up, is Padme from the Geonosis Arena in Episode 2. This is her in a battle-damaged outfit that hasn't been done since 2002 in the original Saga line. It's an all-new sculpt which reuses nothing from previous figures. There are two standout features of this new figure. Her face, which is a remarkably accurate representation of Natalie Portman, and the scratches on her back that she sustained while she was attacked by the Nexu. They are amazing in their detail. It actually looks like they're bleeding. Overall, a great figure and I highly recommend it. The second figure in the wave is the Clone Trooper Sergeant, and this figure uses the vintage collection Clone Trooper and adds green color markings to make him a sergeant in the Republic Army. I know many collectors are sick of clones and troopers, but I really liked the initial sculpt and was glad to add this variation to my ranks. Like his predecessors, he is super articulated and can be posed in a multitude of different ways. Next up is the new Anakin Skywalker from Episode 2. This figure is based on the Anakin Skywalker from the 2005 Anakin Skywalker. Walker to Darth Vader Evolutions 3-pack. The articulation was redone and the soft goods were removed in favor of a sculpted tunic, which, in my opinion, is a great improvement. The figure also has interchangeable right hands and comes with a lightsaber, but not an unlit lightsaber hilt, which is odd because he has a hole in his belt where a saber hilt could attach. The detail on this figure is really top-notch. There are various shades of brown on his tunic and boots, and these seem to match his on-screen appearance very well. If you can get past all the previous versions of this figure and decide to pick this one up, I think you won't be disappointed. Biggs Darklighter in his X-Wing pilot outfit is the next figure in the initial wave. There have been two previous incarnations of this figure. Originally in 1998 as part of the Power of the Force 2 line, and then again almost a decade later as part of the 30th Anniversary Collection. This figure uses the body of Wedge Antilles from the Legacy Collection Target exclusive X-Wing and it goes really well with other X-Wing pilots that have been released. Biggs has an all-new head sculpt and helmet, which I've heard from other collectors isn't completely screen accurate, but to be honest I couldn't tell the difference. Next we come to Luke Skywalker in his ceremonial outfit from The End of A New Hope. This figure is actually a reworking of the 2007 30th Anniversary action figure. For this release, Hasbro created a new head, a more accurate holster, and a corrected blaster. He also comes with a new metal, an ignited lightsaber, and a lightsaber hilt. What's really outstanding about this figure is his all-new head sculpt. As with the Padme figure, Hasbro has done a great job of capturing the likeness of the actor. The coloring on the figure match, the on-screen costume very well, and the only thing that seems off to me is the length of his arms. They seem a bit longer than they should to me. When I compared them to the Biggs figure, they were the same length, but the Luke figure is shorter, so they hang down to his knee. I've found that, depending on how you pose him, this becomes less noticeable. Overall, a nice upgrade from the previous release. The new Darth Vader figure is actually nothing new. We have seen it so many times... And while the figure itself is a repack with a slightly new head sculpt, he does come with a host of new accessories. He has two all-new interchangeable hand sculpts, one to deflect blaster fire, which is included, and the other to grasp Han Solo's blaster, also included. This figure also features a removable cape and an ignited lightsaber. While many collectors lament about the sheer number of Vader figures over the years, this Episode 5-specific figure is a solid addition to the Black Series. The Biker Scout is actually a repaint of the figure from last year's Toys R Us-exclusive Speeder Bike with Scout Trooper set. There isn't too much else to say about about this figure. It's a solid design, and his articulation is such that you can pose him in any way you could think of. The last figure in the initial wave of the Black Series is the Episode 2 Clone Pilot. This figure, like the clone trooper sergeant, makes use of the vintage collection clone trooper body, but this time they added the clone pilot helmet and chest box. There isn't much else to say about this sculpt that hasn't been said already, and it matches well with the newly designed pilot helmet. With the New Republic gunship coming out soon, you may want to consider picking a few of these up to pilot it and man the turrets. Alright folks, in my books, the initial wave of the Black Series is a success. I know many would have preferred some original characters, but I think what we got was a good foundation for a new line. The only missed opportunity here was the fact that Hasbro didn't take advantage of the 30th anniversary of Episode 6 to give us a Return of the Jedi-specific wave. I think that would have been very welcome by collectors. That's all for me this week. Till next time, keep searching the pegs.
1: Thank you, Jonathan. Really great segment this week. I have to admit, I did giggle hysterically at the thought of an action figure with too long of arms.
2: Without having my openers yet for this wave... I'm excited by what you're saying and I'm great to hear your excitement towards these new figures, by and large. The bigs being a good upgrade and yeah, I guess I didn't realize it had been over 10 years since we got that Amadala outfit. But on the card, they're looking pretty good and I'm looking forward to getting some to open. As far as character selection goes, yeah, I get what you're saying about the Return of the Jedi 30th anniversary, but a lot of what we're seeing here, the reason we're seeing the character that we are Keep in mind, Hasbro thought these figures were going to tie into the 3D re-releases of Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. That's why we're getting a whole bunch of Padme, Anakin, Obi-Wan, all these prequel figures, and the both trilogy figures. Even Vader fits for Revenge of the Sith.
1: I totally forgot about that. That makes perfect sense.
2: The oddball is bigs. I mean, neither Return of the Jedi nor tying into one of the cancelled 3D releases, but... I guess... My mind was, they made a Biggs figure, they had an X-Wing, so they called it Biggs Starfighter and did the deco, but maybe it's because they had Biggs X-Wing, they had to release a Biggs figure, and that's why he's the odd one out. And, I guess, Ceremonial Luke, also episode four. Trying to keep it mixed up, but yeah, we're seeing prequel heavy waves right now. I'm very interested to see what Hasbro shows at Toy Fair. Yeah, I'm looking almost six months ahead already to find out what's going to happen when this line has to stand on. On its own in this weird neutral zone between now. And Ep seven.
1: Here's what's funny, is between February and July. It's well we'll see what Hasbro says at Comic Con. Then once July hits, it's let's see what Hasbro has to say at Toy Fair. But sometimes New York Comic Con, but not often.
2: But this time I'm really more curious than usual because we often have some ideas what they're gonna say. Like Toy Fair twenty fifteen, assuming Ep seven stays on its release schedule, I'm not that anticipatory because I know what they're gonna show. They're going to show a lot of F7 stuff. I'll be anticipatory to see what F7 stuff, and will it have articulation, or will it be five points of articulation, and what characters are there? Hopefully we'll know some of this by then, but Toy Fair will probably have some spoilers for the movie. It has in years past, but next year, I have no idea what they're going to do.
1: I'm really not liking F7, the name of it. we just shorten it? We'll call it S. I don't know why that bugs me.
2: It's the overly hip bit of ep. Yeah. Episode 7 seems to work better for me. It's not like I call it ep 2, Attack of the Clones.
1: Yeah, no, I'm just not liking this. Or why can't we just call it 7 as a little ode to George Costanza?
2: Now don't forget, you can hear Jonathan and the gang over at republicforces.com every Thursday. They're taking the bullet and reviewing the Ewoks cartoon series. So if you want to relive that 80s Smurf's rip-off with the Star Wars branding. Take a listen at republicforces.com, and in the archives there, you can find reviews of every single Clone Wars episode.
1: Now, we know you guys have all had a lot to say about what's going on in the Star Wars universe lately with the toys and Episode Seven. So let's see what you guys do have to say and check out our voicemails.
4: Arnie and Marjorie. Mike from Boston. I'm listening to the current cast right now, and it's prompting me to Tell you guys, give my thoughts, actually, about the 6-inch um, Black Series. So, I ended up picking up all four. Very disappointed in the R2-D2 with the action feature. Feature, Excuse me. This is a collector's line. Josh Maul, he's okay. He, he looks like he's smiling in some sort of hilarious way. Um, some of the paint I saw, some of them were okay. But, overall, I thought he looks like he's, uh, you yeah, know, very happy. Um, the Luke, pretty good. It's, it looks just enough like Mark Hamill to satisfy me but I do love the hinge neck and the ankle rocker you know ankles but the star of this wave is the sand trooper if anybody's picked him up everybody can attest once you get this guy in hand he's unbelievable um I've seen some pictures online it literally looks like a small man inside actually inside a costume So let me know what you guys think. Hope everybody's enjoying them. And uh, if there's only one figure to get out of this wave, it would definitely be the Sand Trooper. Sorry for all the rambling,
2: guys. They just won. Thank you for calling. Words cannot express my anticipation for these six inch figures. I really regret ordering them for the twenty percent discount at Hasbro Toy Shop because I want the damn figures. Where the three and three quarter inch line is kind of leaving me cold with character selection, the six inch line, I don't have any six inch figures. Nothing here is an upgrade. It is all a new thing. And after getting the Boba Fett and posing him and seeing the accessories and the Han and Car knowing just that these figures have articulation you can't even do in three and three quarter inch. I'm so excited. And yeah, I'm hearing the same things you are about that Sand Trooper. The R2, you know, I've seen him in package now. I don't think he looks all that bad. I need to get one and open him. I know that there's widespread internet rage about this R2 and that it's not as good as the prototype shown at Toy Fair. I need to open it. I need to get it out and find out specifics because part of me wonders if some of it just isn't pre-release Backlash. Before the figure was ever out, people were hating on it because it just didn't look as good as the prototype. And Hasbro themselves said, Daryl DePriest told me at Comic-Con Lucasfilm said to change it. Hasbro didn't want to. Lucasfilm came down and said, make these changes. So
1: It's all very puzzling. Who knows? Maybe it's not as bad. I'm reserving judgment till we can get to know him
2: yeah but in the package i think he looks really good he's got really good paint he's got i think you could use a wash you know of some dirt maybe to make him look a little bit more grungy he kind of looks like a prequel r2 to me rather than an original trilogy r2 he's so shiny
1: yeah he is a little bit shiny and new
2: but thank you for calling
1: hi there this is
5: joey in tucson um i'm just calling to let uh you guys know first of all thank you for an amazing podcast i uh always make sure to listen to the Enhanced Podcast, and uh, uh, I appreciate the work that goes into that. That's really great to actually see what you're talking about. Um, And second of all, I'm calling just to let you know my thoughts on uh, Slave 1, or Slave, what was it? Slave 1 gate, or whatever it is. Anyway, mine came in perfectly fine. (laughs) Um, I got the same email, uh, and I heard all the the, the comments on Amazon about it, the, the box being shipped, you know, improperly, etc. Um, perhaps it's because I'm there's a Amazon facility in Phoenix, and it was just a real quick overnight ship to me. That my box came to me uh, wrapped in the uh, Hasbro uh, white box, uh, in really good condition, um, and I'm actually really impressed with the. uh the ship itself, the the fact that the wings don't uh, clip or stay in flight position or something like that, I haven't really noticed that. Um, but then again, I don't really keep it in flight position that long. Usually, I'm keeping it, you know, at, at the landing position. The features itself are pretty cool. I really like the uh, uh, just the. The general detail and, 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 just putting it next to, uh, the, the slave, the last slave one I got was back when Shadows of the Empire was out. And, uh, it's not twice the size, but at least one third size bigger. It is so much better. I, uh, I really do like it. Uh, the, uh, it fits three people in the, uh, cabin, which is always cool. So Boba Fett can have, uh, a couple passengers with him. Um, the only slight thing that I would say is kind of weird is the fact that uh, the Carbonite Tom Solo gets put into the front of the ship, which I kind of wish that it was put into somewhere where he would be placed up the ramp or something like that because in the I don't know in the movie he didn't say, put Captain Solo in the cargo hold, and by the way, the cargo hold is right, right in the front of the ship, so walking up the ramp is kind of ridiculous. Don't go there. Go to the front of the ship. Put him in my little, uh, you know, you know, Trunk right there. It <laughs> doesn't quite make sense, but that's very minor. I um, guess the only other minor complaint I would have is that the uh, Han Solo and carbonate doesn't stand up uh, by itself. Uh, it, it, you, it has a kind of a bump to it, so it doesn't stand up by itself, and Han's nose is kind of squished just very slightly. Other than that, it's a really, really fantastic uh, ship lots of uh, great features, and I know uh, many of those features are exactly the same as it was when it was released with the Clone Wars wave, but I never got that shit. (laughs) So, it's all brand new to me, and uh, I'm really impressed with it. Anyway, just thought I'd share my thoughts with it, and uh, I guess I was lucky that mine came out okay.
2: Have a great day. Bye.
1: Thanks, Joey. I really appreciate the kind words. It's nice to know that what we do each week, someone enjoys.
2: And congrats on getting a good condition, Slave 1. We did hear back from Hasbro, and it kind of reminded me of the old days of the Hasbro Q&As, where you'd ask a two-pronged question and they'd pick which prong to answer. They didn't talk to me about the missing parts. They didn't talk to me about the malformed cockpits that a lot of people are having where it won't snap shut. But they did talk to me about the wings not locking into position. And it turns out that is user error. It's, um, improperly assembled one, and here's what they say. The rib on the peg of the wing must be aligned with the groove in the corresponding hole in the ship. I'm gonna repeat this, but come to our forums if you need to see this written, cause it's a little dense. The rib on the peg of the wing must be aligned with the groove in the corresponding hole in the ship.
1: So are they all user error?
2: The wing thing appears to be. If the wing is inserted and the rib and groove are not aligned, the wing will still hold in place, but it will not function properly.
1: But there's no answer for the canopy.
2: No. Now, I also received notice from Amazon that there's a delay on the TIE Interceptors that are the Amazon exclusives and the Droid Factory figures that are Amazon exclusives. It makes me wonder if, as Marjorie called it, Slavegate has caused Amazon to reconsider the packing practices that they take with the future Star Wars Hasbro exclusives.
1: Hell hath no fury like a retailer who does not pack Star Wars figures well.
2: And speaking of online shopping, I got an email from Entertainment Earth. I'm signed up for that little notice that lets me know whenever something new Star Wars is added to their site. And I happened to get one really long email where they added all a bunch of new Lego sets, but at the bottom was something that kind of caught my eye. Star Wars Darth Vader Black Adult Sunglasses. Star Wars Boba Fett Green Adult Sunglasses. Star Wars Stormtrooper White Adult Sunglasses. These are 19.99 a pair. There were no images yet on Entertainment Earth because these aren't shipping until October, so I had to do some Googling, and I found a site called bitrebels.com that has pictures. These are light-up LED sunglasses.
1: I'm not sure how I feel about these. I don't know that you need sunglasses that have LEDs in them. Because are you wearing them at night? Are you Corey Hart? (laughs) Actually, the
2: LED ones are 25. The non-LED ones are 20. But I think the light-up feature is very cool if these were 3D glasses instead of sunglasses. But you're right. Sunglasses, specifically to be used when it's bright... And then the light-up feature, not so much. Maybe we're that close to the future, like in Back to the Future, where 3D wore the 3D glasses everywhere he went. Maybe we're just going to start wearing sunglasses everywhere, night, day. Well, we're almost there with Google Glass. And they even have lightsaber hilts on the earpieces, which hopefully are far enough forward as to not be too uncomfortable and bang against your head.
1: Well, they're also part of a whole Star Wars eyewear line put out by, looks like a company called Gizmine. Gizmine? I'm not sure how that's pronounced, so you can go ahead and giggle amongst yourselves. They have got a line of eyeglasses. They run about $500 each, and they have R2, Luke, Stormtrooper, and Boba Fett, and Vader, and the the little thick-rimmed glasses, and they've got little accents on them, like the R2, the little arms of the eyeglasses look like R2's legs, and the back is shaped kind of like R2's legs, it looks like, and it's got the little blue on it. The Darth Vader is red and black. The Boba Fett has some green on it with his three little marks on it.
2: Now, how much do normal eyeglasses cost? If these are five hundred,
1: I will tell you. I have a pair of Coach eyeglass frames.
2: So those are higher end.
1: Yeah, I mean they're no Jessica Simpson, I guess. But how much
2: are a normal pair of eyeglass? <laughs> normal
1: frames? Normal pair? Um, I mean the Jessica Simpson ones are cheaper. I'm assuming. I mean they're not more expensive than Coach, but I mean the Coach ones cost me like three hundred bucks. Okay, and Coach
2: is an expensive name. So this is more expensive than Coach.
1: Oh, yeah, it, it, these are more expensive than Coach. And here's the kicker. Here, here's the deal. You're buying these from a website. You're not putting your prescription in them. So you have to then take find a store who's willing to put lenses in them.
2: Now, would my insurance cover this if I were to need eyeglasses? Because I know I can get frames every couple of years up to a certain amount.
1: Yeah, why wouldn't they? They're frames.
2: Okay, so a Star Wars collectible your insurance company will pay for.
1: And they have a nice, I, maybe possibly nice, Little case that they come in with that you open it up and it says, May the Force be with you.
2: But you can't read it because you don't have your glasses on.
1: That is correct.
2: That's the irony.
1: (laughs) Are you thinking you need some eyeglasses? I don't
2: think I need eyeglasses, but I kind of like the R2 ones. I the don't R2 know ones I'm... are
1: cute. I like the Stormtrooper ones because they're black and white. It's just a nice design. Yeah, and the Vader ones that are just
2: black with the red accents, they're, they're,
1: there's something there. There's mm-hmm. something there. Yeah. I like them better
2: than the sunglasses.
1: So, Arnie, when you were little, you had a Toy Train set, right? I did.
2: I had a set that I worked on with my grandfather. We spent many, many hours putting it together. I had a couple different engines. Never quite quite worked the way I wanted it to like I bought the engine that's supposed to have smoke come out of the smokestack never really did kind of hard to get the train to stay on the tracks I think I might have been more of a racing car kid and I had a train set because he was old and old people like trains i think that's the stereotype i know there's some young people who are really into trains but i think that was a big thing more among people raised in the 30s 40s and 50s when
1: trains were a novelty yeah yeah because they're not i mean it's like oh trains come on you're interfering with my life no one gets excited when the train rolls through town at 3 a.m in our town and blows the whistle The Bradford Exchange sent Arnie a nice little flyer about a Star Wars train set. This
2: is is from Hawthorne Village, who made those little Star Wars sets we've talked about before that had the minifigures, we've seen them at Celebration. I've never plunked down to buy for them. As cool as I think some of them are in the characters that they do, I've just never gotten into it. So they continue to send me flyers, though I've never given them a penny.
1: Yeah, and you gotta be careful with some of these subscription things, because a lot of times if there's not enough interest, you don't get very many because they just stop.
2: Yeah, that was also my fear, is I'd end up with the starter sets, and then more figures to follow. Mm, we'll see.
1: Have they been releasing them? I don't think they have. We didn't haven't seen them at conventions for a long time. I'm not seeing them on the Bradford Exchange
2: website. The only village I'm seeing anymore is a Padre set, so the other sets may no longer be available. They were limited. Whether or not there are figures, it seems like there's no way to really find that out. But they're moving on to this train set, which is a glow-in-the-dark train set.
1: Which, I don't understand why
2: you need that. And what it is, is your basic train set. It's HO scale for those in the know. And it just has... Star Wars graphics on the train.
1: Yeah, it's not even the generic clip art that we get on a lot of stuff. It looks like it's new clip art type things.
2: Oh, no, it's advertising. It is original art by Star Wars artist Steve Anderson.
1: Ah, okay, there we go. But it has a mesmerizing glow-in-the-dark feature. It's like getting two trains in one! You also get some track set with it, which I guess is a good thing.
2: Yeah, you need track to run it on. That's where it gets its power and all. It's a 16-piece HO Gauge track set, power pack, crossing gate, and signal train. Now, the crossing gate and signal train, there's nothing Star Wars about them. It is merely the... Cars of the train painted Star Warsy. Now, this to me tells me this is for train collectors who also a little bit of them like Star Wars. It's not for Star Wars collectors who are thinking about getting into model training.
1: I agree. I don't think this is trying to lure anybody into the Star Wars train idea. Like, you're not going to sit there and start collecting trains now, I assume.
2: Coming next week from Venganza Media, TrackCast. No. Or I could call it H-O-Cast, but it might get a really weird listener
1: <laughs> <truck>. <laughs> HoCast,
2: ho <laughs> People be expecting me to do it in rhyme. These Star Wars trains, I can't refrain. They glow at night. Oh, what a sight. Oh. You get HBO, you know what I'm talking about. But this is a weird, weird collectible. I... Can't say I entirely get it beyond if I was still 7 and I still had my HO train set, I probably would have really loved an engine with Star Wars on it. I think I might have had a Kiss Rock Band train car in 1979. So that would be as far as it would go. But the fact is, when you sign up, you get an engine, which I think is a little less fun than a train car. And then there are other cars to follow. And the first two go together really well. The third one looks like the Darth Vader circus car. (laughs) Like Barnum and (laughs) Bailey went Darth Vader. (laughs) It doesn't aesthetically match the first two cars. It doesn't have the same color palette.
1: Arnie, I really don't think we can throw stones at other people's trains.
2: Why? I I, I don't even understand why not.
1: Because you're making fun of people who collect trains. No, I'm not. Okay, you kind of did. I just want to make sure because we really can't make fun anybody who collects anything.
2: No, I'm not making fun of train collectors Even that all.
1: person who collects used Kleenex is still a collector.
2: No, they're a hoarder. There is a difference there. <laughs> but,
1: no, I'm not making
2: fun of train collectors. I'm just saying I think... As a lure for a Star Wars collector, I don't think these work very well. I don't think that it's going to have a huge amount of appeal because it doesn't create a complete Star Wars train.
1: Is it a finite set or you just get a few cars and that's it?
2: They tease more to come, much like their villages. And it's a $225 set.
1: Is that expensive for trains, I assume?
2: I don't know.
1: I guess the more important question is, are you buying it?
2: Your standard HO scale engine can be anywhere from 100 to 250. So the reason I don't know is because, and I'm sure they even go higher, but I don't know the quality of this piece. I'll only know the quality of this piece if I were to buy it. And that's not going to happen. I'm in the process of really <laughs> trying to focus my collecting and be a little bit less buckshot in, Hey, that has Star Wars on it. Let's buy it. I didn't even buy the Hawthorne Village sets that I liked, let alone this train that trains take up a lot of real estate too. The reason I got rid of my train set from when I was a kid. I mean, that was a 12 by eight board. <laughs> that's like a bedroom for a kid. <laughs> that's 96 square feet of train that i had
1: can't you like put them on like up near the ceiling or something i don't know how these things work
2: you can but i mean maybe they're much better now than then but and listeners come to our forums train collectors who are listening come to the forums and tell me do you still have to sand the tracks for corrosion and keep the contacts all smooth and oil everything they're a lot of work
1: This sounds like a hell of a lot more work than any of your statues. Yeah. I'm going to have to vote no on this.
2: I am also voting no because for $225, hey... I can buy a premium format figure for that.
1: Yes, you can. And you don't have to worry if they're going to make the rest of the premium format figure.
2: Also, speaking of online shopping, Star Wars Action News sponsor Brian's Toys has up for pre-order the latest Black Series figures. You can get the Wave 2 Black Series set of four. And I've gotten some emails from listeners who are saying, where can I get the Black Series figures? Are these in stores? Because they're hitting some stores. They're not seeing them. They want to know if they had to order these online. These are are online and in stores, but I think that that Boba Fett is going to be nearly impossible to find in stores. Everybody wants them. Several websites have pre-sold out of the Boba Fett when they have the figures individually available for sale. So... If you're thinking, hey, maybe I need a Han, maybe I need a Greedo, maybe I need a Slave Leia, but I definitely need a Boba Fett, head over to Brian's Toys. It's $79.99 for a set of four, so that is a very reasonable price to make sure you get the entire wave, and especially that Boba Fett, which individually will go for much more than that on eBay. They also have wave two of the three and three quarter inch figures, and the wave one set of eight is is in stock and ready to ship now. It's a C8 or C9 guarantee from Brian's Toys. And remember when checking out, be sure to mention you were referred to them by Star Wars Action News. Now today, the reason the show's coming out on a Tuesday instead of a Monday is we are coinciding with the release of the newest Star Wars EU novel, Kenobi by John Jackson Miller. And here with a review of that book is Brock.
0: Rock Star Wars Action News Book Club Liaison with a spoiler-free as possible review of Star Wars Kenobi by John Jackson Miller. Review copy courtesy of Delray Books. Obi-Wan Kenobi is settling into his new home near the Junlin Waste of Tatooine as he starts his mission to look after the baby Luke Skywalker on the large moisture farm. He wishes to stay anonymous as possible, even if a new face to a rural small town community naturally breeds curiosity. He adapts the name Ben, and tries only to deal with locals in the nearby town when absolutely necessary. By circumstances out of his control, Ben happens to befriend the town's general store owner, Annaline, and he hesitantly agrees to come to her shop for his much needed supplies, instead of going to the more populated and distant town over. But trouble seems to find Ben, even when he wants so much to avoid it, The Tuscans in the area have been raiding on local farmers' homesteads, and most of them have abandoned behind a man named Orin Galt, who has set up the Settlers' Call in defense of the Tuscan raids, headquartered in Annalene's store. And the Tuscan leader notices that Ben has powers that the other settlers don't seem to have. Will Ben be able to stay out of the fray? Can he turn away from his ingrained Jedi ways and not help those in need? Will the local townspeople ever rid themselves from the omnipresent Tuscan threat, Do the Tusken Raiders have a reason for the more frequent and targeted attacks? The story unfolds in Star Wars Kenobi. In press materials and the acknowledgement at the beginning of this book, they have been very open about this story's origin being Star Wars as a Western, and that is a wise choice, as without that knowledge going in, I could see quite a few readers being disappointed with the deliberate pace of the piece. I saw chains of the classic westerns Shane and The Searchers throughout the first two parts of this novel, but as we get deeper, it moves into a more of a traditional western tale territory, with indigenous folk versus the town people, local justice and local corruption, and a stagnant life in the frontier. As many of you know who listen to these reviews, I am a fan of Star Wars books taking on other genres. We have in the recent past had their take on the noir detective story, zombie horror, etc. And with mixed results, the major complaint usually is that while they are doing the genre, they hedge their bets and don't go all in. They lighten up on the sex or the gore because, hey, this is Star Wars. And here, with Star Wars as a western, this genre story has a lot of the elements correct, but again, it seems to hedge its bets and just doesn't go all the way. For example, the Tuscan Raiders seem to be in a place of where the Native Americans would be in the Star Wars Western. And it's mentioned numerous times that, like Native Americans, the Tuscan Raiders kidnap to replenish their depleting numbers. Yet, we never see that. Many times they get quite close, and it feels like they're setting us up for a big kidnapping, and it never comes. And at the end of the book... You see why, as the plot point would have seriously taken the book into a darker place than it was already going, and it could derail what was already being set up, which would deny us with the quite satisfying ending the novel actually does provide. If you're familiar with John Jackson Miller's other work, his writing for comics, The Lost Tribe of the Sith short stories, or even his first novel, Star Wars Knight Errant, you know he can do short stories well. He also has a penchant for relatable characters, and all of that is on full display here. Here in Kenobi, he plays to his strengths by dividing the book into four parts, and being so open about the origins of the outline for the story tell us that these four parts very well could have been four issues of a comic at one point. But for the most part, he's able to mask that likelihood, and I say for the most part because at the start of the third section, the change of atmosphere is so jarring, you get thrown. And I started to wonder how is it really related to the book I was already invested in. But thankfully, the tangent to Moss Eisley provides the book with the needed turns to end strongly for the characters' resolutions. This book reminded me of the Death Star novel from a few years back. That it was a lot about the day in the life of people who inhabit the Star Wars universe and not about those who shape galactic events like we see in the movies. And like Death Star, Star Wars: Kenobi is a character-driven, not plot-driven novel. The third section I mentioned a moment ago has some much-needed plot development that propels the book towards the winning climax, a climax that smartly relies not on more plot, but in the great character work that has been established throughout the book. I enjoyed the way the book starts off with strong connections to the Star Wars movies. There is what reads like what would be an opening scrawl, like at the beginning of each Star Wars movie, explaining that Kenobi thinks he killed Anakin on Mustafar, as he doesn't know Anakin's in the suit yet, And the prologue starts right after Kenobi arrives on the planet for the first time, before he drops Luke off at the Lars homestead. So it starts during the events of Revenge of the Sith. And like in a couple of Star Wars movies, and of course, many a Western, there's a saloon fight, where Obi-Wan ends it definitively with a lightsaber. And this wonderful prologue closes out with Obi-Wan speaking to Qui-Gon in meditation with a profound thought, and I quote... Years ago, we removed one child from Tatooine, thinking him to be the galaxy's greatest hope. Now I have returned one, with the same goal in mind. Nice! Thankfully, the author put all of this at the top of the book to whet our appetite, because we don't see Obi-Wan again for another 50 pages. The background information in this first section is voluminous, but presented very, very well. The greatest compliment I can give this book and its author is that he so expertly and economically introduces this world. And I'm not talking about Tatooine, though he smartly incorporates practically everything we know about Tatooine into the book. From the two suns, the oppressive heat, Tusken Raiders, Moisture Farms, Land Speeders, Sarlaccs, Jabba the Hutt, Pod Racing, Moss Isley, Moss Espa, the Jawas, and their Sandcrawler. No, the burden here is not necessarily creating a world in a time we are unfamiliar with. We know this setting but in setting the scene so that we care about what is going on with characters in situations that we don't know anything about. And I instantly felt connected to these townspeople. It felt like I knew people like Annalene and Orin, either from real life or from countless amounts of movies that I've seen. Part of the connection comes from the witty dialogue, others from the sympathy created for these characters, as we learn what they have lost living here on this barren, dangerous planet. As a result, by the end of those first fifty or so Ben Kenobi-less pages, the reader is ready to follow these new characters Mr. Miller has created with a concrete hold of the whole situation. Who everyone is to each other, which relationships and characters are important, their living environment, and so on. So then he is able to reintroduce Kenobi into this world, and we are then able to empathize with all sides. And none so expertly than with the Tusken Raiders. We have many a chapter throughout the book with the Tuscan clan and their leader, Ayark, which I found excitingly refreshing. So easily could Mr. Miller make them the two-dimensional villainous Indians to the frontiersmen of the Tatooine settlers, but no! He takes the time to thoroughly flesh out their cultures, their beliefs, needs, desires, and it makes for effective storytelling, all the while tying in some popular comic book stories revolving around the Tuscans. Miller does a great job of humanizing Ayark, and a Ark's Ark <laughs> becomes one of my favorites in this novel. So while the book is about Obi-Wan's first coming to Tatooine and his efforts to settle into his new life as Ben, it is very much about the settlers Orin and Annalene and their lives, and you quickly realize that they are the two main characters of this book. Miller uses these characters to flesh out and run parallels to Ben's story to give us a window into the frontier life existence, the harsh realities of living on a desert planet, of loss and the unforgiving realities of life here. The interactions between Annalene and Oren are so clearly two people who have dealt with each other for years and years, and we get why they make the choices they do, even if you disagree with them. There is a lived-in reality to them that I was able to latch onto right away that propelled me to care about what happens next, even when the book gets talky. The author especially nails these two characters as parents. Their reactions and dialogue towards their kids is so genuine that you can tell the man is a parent himself, which I believe was a comment I made in my review of Star Wars Knight Errant. I felt that the author really got the characterization of Obi-Wan, and never once did I question his actions as not being true to the character we know so well. Miller nails Obi-Wan's sly humor and manner, and with the help of the reaction and observations of other characters, convey the inner core of sadness this man is feeling at this point in his life. Miller hints about his character's feelings at first, and is able to come to these conclusions by putting all the pieces together. Yet, eventually, there are scenes where he blatantly spells out all that subtle work. Perhaps that was intentional, targeted at specific readers, but I was following the subtlety quite well and enjoying the nuances he was displaying in the prose with Ben's demeanor and edge to his dialogue. It has to be said, there is a definite Superman feeling to some key scenes in this novel, where Obi-Wan steps in and saves the day. And there is also a few Clark Kent using his powers covertly to assist the helpless scenes, like behind a makeshift smokescreen from a fire extinguisher, and no one's the wiser. Those scenes are quite entertaining to read, I laughed out loud when in one chapter we read about a disturbance inside a building, and directly afterwards, all of a sudden Kenobi shows up, all Clark Kent saying he was sidetracked by a street vendor and he seems to have missed some excitement. <laughs> Beyond all the fun to be had there, Mr. Miller is also smart to have some consequences for Ben Kenobi stepping up and using his Jedi abilities. For example, he has a Yark, the main Tusken Raider, noticing Kenobi use his abilities when no one else does. Mr. Miller is able to mine those minor miracles this stranger creates to great effect for character motivation, arcs, and parallels. There's also some great work here tying together established canon of Star Wars, especially in linking and transitioning Obi-Wan Kenobi from the prequels to the Ben Kenobi we meet in A New Hope. Some gaps are nicely filled in as questions that you may not ever thought of before, like Why does Ben live so far away from Luke if he's supposed to be watching over him? And why didn't he change his last name if he is on Tatooine hiding from the Empire? And all this results in creating one long timeline between the prequels and the OT that feels like it works. And the author accomplishes a lot of that at the end of the many chapters by having Obi-Wan meditate to Qui-Gon Jinn of his struggles and challenges of his mission and his feelings on the given day. The meditations also allow us to see the real Jedi Obi-Wan Kenobi that we know from the prequels and not just the secretive Ben he projects towards the other characters. Star Wars Kenobi is a surprisingly refreshing read a character study of four individuals and how their lives intertwine and feed off each other for better or for worse, with the always timely theme of letting go of your past, of your set ways, and embracing the now for your future. The book reads so well because we get these characters, we understand their points of view and their hardships, even if we aren't living them ourselves. And while not chock full of what we all consider Star Wars action, there is more than enough Star Wars here for us fans. No one is more surprised than me with how much I enjoyed reading Star Wars Kenobi, and it is a happy recommend. For Star Wars Action News and the Star Wars Action News Book Club, this is Brock. Now back to Arnie and Marjorie.
2: Thank you, Brock. Great to hear your review. Great to hear somebody share my enthusiasm about this book, because... I read it, and books about all new characters in the Star Wars universe have usually a 50-page learning curve for me as I'm trying to figure out who are the main characters, what's going on. It's usually around page 50 that I start to get in my groove and really enjoy the book, but the first 50 pages is where I can tell how quickly a book has hooked me. And because this book isn't so plot-heavy, it is a character study like you said, I really thought the first bit was meandering until I realized realized how well John wrote those characters and how much I liked the people and while... I didn't know what the plot would be. It's not like Heir to the Empire, where I know the plot is Grand Admiral Thrawn scheming to restore the Empire. I don't know exactly what's going to happen in this book and what the final battle will be. I just trust because it's Star Wars, there will be one. But the tale of a shopkeeper and a moisture farmer in Tatooine and Ben staying quite a bit on the periphery, especially early on in the book, it's a testament to Miller's writing that I was brought in so much, and I really think he captures the voice of Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan. I kind of reading this was expecting a hybrid. I was wondering if I'd get some Alec Guinness, and I'd get some Ewan McGregor, and I was thinking about that sideshow statue that is the legends, that is kind of a morphing of the two faces together. But no, this is all Ewan, and he gets that voice absolutely perfectly. I could hear Ewan McGregor's Sith Lords are a speciality in my head as I'm reading these lines. A really great job. I suggest everyone go out and get this. It's a fun, one-off book that requires no prior EU knowledge, but if you have it, it's rewarded. And speaking of Sideshow Statues, I did get my premium format, The Force Unleashed shock T in. This is my first foray into EU-based premium format figures. I'd skip the Asajj Ventress and Darth Malgus as I thought they were nice pieces but not really iconic and I cannot say that Shakti is iconic in her Force Unleashed outfit.
1: She is not. I'm sorry but there's really nothing iconic about the Force Unleashed. It's a video game, yes it was a very popular game and a lot of people love it but when you're talking iconic Star Wars things you're not bringing up any of that.
2: No, this was completely a San Diego Comic Con 2012 of impulse Buy. Because I went there and I saw this and I'm like, the detail work on her, the paint, the face, the leku, the lightsaber, the base, all of this was just so well done. It wasn't iconic, but I thought it was a really nice piece. And one thing Sideshow's doing more and more, and it's getting me to buy more and more, is that exclusive piece and here I thought the exclusive piece mattered whereas Aila Sakura, she came with a helmet I could pass on that and get the regular edition cheaper on eBay and I'm not sure if she's actually gone down in price but I've bought a lot of premium format non-exclusives on eBay and saved considerable money doing so. But here, the exclusive piece for Shakti was a second lightsaber hilt that she puts in her other hand and I think that that adds something. It adds a little bit of menace, it adds a little bit of Jedi to her. Even though she has the light lightsaber, I liked the other one enough, and I liked the piece enough to go ahead and pre-order. Here we are, about a year later.
1: It's over a year later.
2: And it finally came in. Now, I gotta admit, I was having some anxiety opening this box. Like, I could almost hear the Hellraiser theme playing in the background as I'm opening the box. I'm that scared of what I'm going to find inside. Because I've had some bad luck with Sideshow premium format figures lately. And I actually, maybe in my experience, there's no such thing as luck. Maybe their quality is just declining. But I actually got in three premium format figures this week. Two I'm going to be talking about on this Wednesday's episode of Marvelicious Toys. And the third was Shock T. And I'll preview the next issue of Marvelicious Toys. Both of them were damaged. The sideshow exclusive Vision and the sideshow exclusive Deadpool both had varying degrees of damage. The Deadpools was, I consider it very major and I'm still working through that issue with sideshow customer service who has been less than helpful. And the sideshow Vision, it was the last one, they ended up giving me a credit of about 18% on a purchase. And if you recall, the last premium format I believe we reviewed for Star Wars Action News was the Stormtrooper, which I really liked. But it took me a long time to get because I opened my first one and he was broken at the knee. And I ended up having to take him out and smash him as they sent me a replacement body. And it took a while to get that replacement. Another Marvel one I ordered, a Black Widow came with a broken leg. It was months before I got a replacement. So I was feeling really nervous as I opened this. Wondering, am I going to have to deal with Sideshow Customer Service again? Is it going to be damaged? And if it's damaged, how widespread? Because I've been reading the Sideshow Freaks forums to find others, almost like a support group for these damage issues.
1: I get very nervous whenever a Sideshow item comes in anymore because... You get so, not upset, that's not the right word, but it just frustrated, maybe, is the right word. Yes. Because they're not how they used to be. I don't know if you're buying in such a volume now with so many different <laughs> ones that this is just luck of the draw. Or if it is a quality issue and they're pumping out so many that there's so many defects or they just sometimes going on.
2: Yeah. I really would love listeners to come to our forums and tell me what your experience has been lately with Sideshow, because for me, it used to be that a Sideshow piece was really a quality piece, and every so often there'd be a misstep. That premium format Boba Fett, I know a lot of people had problems with how plasticky its backpack was, I liked the piece a lot. But by and large, I would open a sideshow piece, and especially, I mean, I got into it with the premium formats. Those were my first sideshow pieces, was the premium format Grievous, quickly followed by the exclusive premium format Darth Vader. And those were just glorious, glorious pieces. And so I'd buy more and more. I bought some off a member of the forums. I got the light-up Darth Maul. His hand fell off and broke, and they were very good about getting me a replacement. Just great customer service. That was five years ago, maybe four. But now it seems like dealing with their customer service, I have to argue a little harder. They're a little bit less quick to help. I mean, I've heard stories about people who bought that job of the hut and had the exclusive chalice and dropped it and broke it and wrote to sideshow just on a whim to see if there was anything they could do. They're like, yes, we're going to send you a new exclusive chalice, though it's been long sold out. We have one here. We're sending it to you. I don't feel like the customer service I've been getting matches the stories I used to hear. So. Go listen to this week's Marvelicious Toys if you really want to hear a lot more about my sideshow woes, because suffice it to say, the T, while I do think there's a couple of quality issues, she was not broken, and there were no <laughs> massive paint defects that I cannot live with. There were some minor, minor paint defects. That I wouldn't have noticed if it wasn't my third premium format in a week and where I basically got out the microscope to find anything wrong so that I could be sure to report it. Because they've also been really sticky about that, well, it's past 30 days, you should have told us within the 30 days of getting it, and if I didn't notice right away. So I went over her with a fine-tooth comb, and I'll state the negative before I state the positive since I'm talking about negative sideshow experiences. There is a bit of overly glossy paint... In a couple of spots. Now, Sideshow is claiming this can be fixed with a cleaning kit. I had this problem massively with the Deadpool. They're sending me a cleaning kit. I'll follow up and let you know how that (laughs) mojo works.
1: Could be snake oil.
2: I'm a little skeptical of the cleaning kit. Nobody on the Sideshow Freaks forums has ever heard of this cleaning kit or used it. So I don't know if it will reduce the glossiness, but microfiber doesn't take it off. And I don't know what it's from, but it is where the piece rubbed. Also, there's a lot of intricacy to Shakti, and around the necklace, where she has the tooth necklace, there's a lot of what just looks like sloppy paint.
1: Yeah, it's almost like the paint was transferred, like they didn't put anything underneath it when they were painting it, and it is it is sloppy. It's not very good at all. But then again, on her face, they have all that intricate beadwork, and it's phenomenal, and it's not sloppy.
2: No, not at all. There's a tiny drop of red paint on one of her eyes that shouldn't be there, just tiny, like a.
1: Okay, but in all fairness, you tried to show me something and I couldn't see it.
2: Yeah, but it's there. It's in the photos. But the 26 megapixels helped me find my defects very well. But overall, this is a stunning, stunning piece. All the detail I saw when I saw this at Comic-Con was there. I'll be honest. I forgot my feelings about this piece. When a year passed between order and receipt, I'm like, was I a little con-drunk? Did I see this and this was like a piece, was I just overly anticipating a Bishoujo for Star Wars so I went with this and did I get it because it's a little bit scantily clad? I was wondering about my own motivations for this. But this piece, when I started to open it, I absolutely am just astonished with the detail. The base, first of all. I love what Sideshow does with most of their bases. Sometimes they kind of cheap out and just go black base. But when they do their environment bases, I love it. And here they've got what I think are crate dragon bones molded onto the base, and then some tentacles of a sarlacc that I insert and really give it this 3D feel, so it really feels like she's on that desert world.
1: No, I like the base. I like both when they do this kind of base, the environment base, and I enjoy it when they do just the black base, because I think that that plain black base works for some of the figures.
2: I like when they do it to be consistent. Like, I wouldn't have wanted an environment base for the stormtrooper, who I want to pose with the Vader, when the Vader on the black base But here, yeah, for this, and the fact that they'd painted dirt in between her toes and things because she's barefoot, I think it just adds so much to make her feel like she's part of that environment and where she is. I do wish that the Sarlacc tentacles fit in the base a little bit better. I feel like I can still see a lot of ridge around them that just looks like molding holes, but you only see that from certain angles, and I'm happy with that base overall. And the bottom of the base, it always you kind of makes me laugh, because they put such nice details on the bottom of the base that you will never, ever see again, but they actually painted a shock T face on the bottom of the base. Now, this may be an exclusive base touch. They've started making exclusive bases slightly different, so that way people can't just take the exclusive accessory and sell it on eBay, and people think they have an exclusive statue. But, that's a nice detail. The figure herself, I just love the tone of paint used. The red they use for her skin, it just has has an authentic feel. Marjorie, you asked me when we were looking at it, does it look like the game? Not necessarily. I think it looks better. I think it's a great bridging of the game style with the realism that is in the other premium format figures so that you could put this with your other Jedi figures, especially if you have the Isla Sakura, the Ventress and make it fit.
1: So it's more something that was inspired by the game.
2: Well, no, I mean, her outfit is identical to the game. The base Mm -hmm. is identical to the game, but she's done in a realistic style. And yeah, you mentioned that beadwork on her face. That is incredible that there isn't more paint problems with that. That is so amazing. I can't imagine that as anything other than hand-painted.
1: By someone with a steady hand?
2: Yes, not by me. (laughs) Now, being a premium format figure, there are some soft goods mixed into here, and one is the, I guess for lack of a better term, a loincloth or something that hangs down in front.
1: Yeah, I don't know what you'd call that. I first thought you had a bad statue because the end was frayed, but then you said it tied into the game.
2: Yeah, she's supposed to be a little weathered. It has a wire for posability, but the wire they used was so thin that I can bend it, and the cloth's gonna go the way the cloth's gonna go. I'm hoping with a little bit of gravity... It- It falls a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I think once she's out of the package, it's going to work out the way you want it to.
2: And then they have this little bit of, like... Faux leather also as a skirt for her. It reminds me of a cheap sofa.
1: Naga hide, pleather, something like that.
2: Pleather, probably. And it's also got a little bit of fraying into it. But the standout feature for this has to be, in my opinion, the light up saber. That thing is so bright. It is amazing.
1: I think this is one of the best things I've ever done with the figures, period. If you think back to that Darth Vader and Obi Wan. Remember those? Mm. This has got such tremendous advancements in how it looks. I think it's phenomenal.
2: I am glad this comes with batteries and an AC adapter. I like those options. The batteries were very handy for the photo studio, so I didn't have to worry about trailing a cord, whereas batteries leak and I hate that, so I much prefer AC adapters long term. But I guess I'm a little bit lucky because my lightsaber works really well. I did hear from Josh, who's a sideshow collector, and he's had both the Eyeless Acura and the Shock T after a couple days. The lightsaber stops lighting up all the way, and it mine doesn't go all the way to the tip. It confused me for a second. It's supposed to have a little bit at the end. It has to for the electronics, but his stopped about an inch short. So I'm going to have to go back and check it in a couple of days to see if it's still okay and... What's going on with that?
1: Yes, see, delayed problems or something new to worry about.
2: So apparently this is another common issue with Sideshow. And he says that if he pushes on the saber, it fixes it. But when he lets go, the saber stops lighting up the whole way. So I'm going to play with that a little bit.
1: What's going on with Sideshow? This is so frustrating. And the question that I'll be
2: mentioning in a couple of days is, am I being too picky? You know, how... Much of a flaw is a bad enough flaw, but they keep raising their prices. The prices of all collectibles are going up, and that includes these premium format figures. I remember, admittedly, I was paying 500 for that Grievous initially, but the regular figures were down around 200, and now they're up getting close to 400 ship. So I just think that they need to have a commitment to consistent quality. And a lot of times, rather than fix the flaws, what they try to do is buy me off and offer me either 10% refund or 15% store credit. And I'm sorry if you... If I were to ever sell, I'm going to lose a lot more than 10% on the aftermarket by having a damaged piece. So just monetarily, it's not worth taking 10%. I mean, when I had the Black Widow with the snapped leg, they offered me 10% refund if I just glue it and live with it.
1: Well, that's not a solution. I'm sorry. You don't glue it and live with it. You paid a lot of money for that statue.
2: Yeah, and that's my point. So I like this Shakti a lot. I definitely don't regret the purchase. I think she is so well sculpted. That's one thing across the board that I can say is their sculpting is top notch. My problems have always been paint application or shipping damage. They've made the boxes that these ship in a lot smaller, and I wonder if the padding just isn't good enough. Mm -hmm. So let us know what you think and what your sideshow experiences are. You can give us a call at 415-508-JEDI or come to our forums. Now finally this week, we have a vintage viewpoint from Jerry.
6: Hey everybody, Jerry here to bring you my latest Vintage Viewpoint. Well, I'm finally well rested for my time in Europe and I gotta say once again that I just had an amazing time. I'm so glad that good fortune smiled on me and that I was able to be out that way for Celebration Europe. It was the shot in the arm that I really needed for my fandom. My Star Wars fandom has been at an all-time low. Now, I realize that it's been the perfect storm of events. We've had next to no new toys on shelves for the better part of the last year. 3D prequels got canceled, Clone Wars gets axed, Disney buys Star Wars. I mean, there's been very little to get excited about since Celebration 6 in Orlando. But it's actually Celebration Europe that inspires my topic this month. But first, I wanted to add a footnote to my Job of the Hutt review from a few months ago. Back in March, I mentioned the extensive usage of Return of the Jedi molds in the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves toy line that Kenner did back in 1991. Well, right around that time, I posted on the Star Wars Action News Facebook page a purchase that I made at my local flea market. It, too, was a partially recycled Return of the Jedi toy turned Robin Hood collectible, Friar Tuck. After recording my March segment about Ewoks toys, I decided that I really, really wanted that Friar Tuck figure. Now, a good friend of mine came to visit me from out of town, and he's a big collector of Hot Wheels toys, so I decided to take him to the two flea markets just down the highway from here in Monroe, Ohio. One of them is actually fairly well known that maybe you've heard of, Trader's World. The other one is a bit smaller called Treasure Isles. Both flea markets, which are directly across the highway from one another, have great toy booths. But Treasure Isles actually has the better selection of older toys. Toys you'd probably never really think you'd come across, but sure enough, there they are. In fact, I didn't even go to the flea market that day thinking I would find a fryer Tuck. It was the furthest thing from my mind. It was the very next day after I recorded that Ewok segment. Now I'd watched a few bids on eBay that day and I was going to wait till I could get one for about $15 or less. So much to my surprise, I found not one, not two, but three different booths with carded fryer Tuck figures. The cheapest of them was $8 carded, so I snatched it up without thinking twice. I really wanted it for two reasons. Number one, of course, was to give a side-by-side comparison of this figure to the Return of the Jedi Gamorrean Guard, but also because if you take that figure, spread the cloak apart a little bit, and put an axe in his hand, he totally looks like he could be a character from Jabba's Palace. He looks great with that diorama. If I actually had an extra Gamorrean Guard axe accessory, I'd set him up that way. So here are a few noticeable differences between these figures. Now, it's clear that this figure isn't 100% the same as the guard in terms of the mold. First, you'll notice the fur around the waist of the figures are different. Also, Friar Tuck has a knife hanging from his belt. The Gamorian guard oddly does not. In addition, the belt buckle area is slightly different, and there is an armor-like plate that is molded around the Gamorian Guard's neck and throat area. Friar Tuck simply has a collar, and there's more detail to the strap that goes across the shoulder. So I don't know if they used the same molds with maybe some modifications, or if it was just a recycle of the design concept, and not necessarily the molds themselves. It would appear, though, that the legs and arms are identical, so perhaps they only had partial molds. Who knows, either way, it's super cool to have these figures side by side. So speaking of Jabba's Palace patrons, the vintage item I wanted to focus on this week is Yak Face. Yak Face has been getting some attention lately with the release of the Gentle Giant Jumbo figures at San Diego Comic Con in Celebration Europe. Now many of you are familiar with the Yakker by now because he is so notorious among vintage collectors. But I bet many of you here in the US never even heard of this figure until about 1992 or so as he was never released by Kent or Stateside. There's no good, consistent story, though, about why that was. I've heard everything from that he was supposed to be the 93rd figure in the line, available only by mail, but that the line died first, all the way to a ridiculous story that Kenner didn't want to release him here in the States because he looked too much like a certain smooth character. Now, I've never believed this angle, but my goodness, the resemblance between Yak Face and Joe Camel is uncanny. Heck, maybe they were afraid of getting sued. Either way, toys and cigarettes don't mix. Kids, just say no. Hmm. Come to think about it, he doesn't look anything at all like a Yak, either. Well, whatever the reason, Joe Yakface indeed saw a release by Palatoy in Europe on the Return of the Jedi Tri-Logo card, and in Canada by Kenner on a bilingual Power of the Force card. The Canadian version came with a Nick 2 staff and a coin, just as the rest of the Power of the Force figures did. However, because of the Tri-Logo release, Yakface is considered complete with or without his staff. But it's a Nick 2 staff, so if you want to accessorize your loose yak face figure, it's easy enough to get one. I couldn't imagine the rarity or the price if you would have come with a unique accessory like Rigi's, Zuckus, or Forlom did. Now as a side note, they carry the same distinction along to the convention exclusives. San Diego Comic Con had the Power of the Force card along with the staff and a coin. Now that's pretty cool. But Celebration Europe had neither of these items. To me, that really sucks. I mean, I get that the vintage European release didn't have either, But it would have been equally cool to me for the Gentle Giant Jumbo version to have corrected that oversight. Instead, the Celebration Europe Yak Face comes in the same plastic tray that was used on the San Diego Comic Con version that even has a slot where a staff should be. To me, it just looks like an error, like something is missing from the pack. Now, like I said, this is a figure I didn't hear of until about 1993 when I read Steve Sansweet's From Concept to Screen to Collectible. There he shows a couple of pictures of Yak Face with a small blurb about him not having been released in the U.S. But as I reviewed it for this segment, it kind of occurred to me there wasn't really a lot of detail in that either. It was just a couple pictures and a sentence or two. Now, it was about this time, though, that I started college, and I became friends with a guy who shared my passion for Star Wars collecting. He was actually about five years older than me, and his family had been friends with a Kenner employee, so he actually knew about the existence of this figure. Now, at that time in my life, though, of course, I didn't have a lot of money, but I decided it was high time that I completed my loose vintage figure collection, and it was going to include Yak Face. You see, in the summer of 1987, I spent a little time to replace a lot of my loose Star Wars figures that, you know, really weren't in very good shape. There was this former Kenner employee who set up shop at the aforementioned Trader's World Flea Market. He sold all kinds of stuff there, including proof cards and sealed baggy figures, all minty and fresh. I must have bought 10 or 15 figures that summer to replace some of my worst figures. It was quite easy to do, because they were only 2 to $3 a piece. So after all that, come college, I actually only needed the Stormtrooper Luke, EV-99, and of course Yak Face. In 1996, a small but super awesome toy store opened within walking distance of my house called Cincinnati Sci-Fi. This guy had all kinds of vintage Star Wars toys. I bought a lot from him, mostly micro collection playsets. Well one day he showed me a Yak Face. He was asking $120 for it and it was in excellent shape very little, if any, paint chipping and the joints were nice and tight. Well, I had just recently picked up a set of six 12-inch Walmart exclusive Cantina Band members, so I didn't really have at the time another $120 to buy the Act Face, but I really, really wanted this figure. When that Cantina set came out, it was actually quite hard to find. I happened to be at a Walmart and found the case setting there, so I was able to get a set early on. Now, because of the excitement and the rarity of this set at the time, this guy traded me even up the yak face for the Cantina Band set. Now, I felt a little dumb about it at the time, trading six 12 inch figures for just one three and three quarter inch figure, but I knew how special this was. Now, the nice part about this trade was that today one can find that same set of six band members for about $60 total on eBay. Now, two years later though, I found something really amazing. At about this time, there were all sorts of Star Wars toy dealers at Trader's World. There was one guy in particular who had a great selection of vintage items. This was the same guy I bought my vintage Tatooine Skiff from, my Droid Factory, all sorts of things. Well, one day he had a carded Tri-Logo Yak Face. Not in great shape, but it was decent, and it lacked that horrible yellow new figure 1 pound 59 sticker on it that so many Tri-Logo figures have. The asking price of this carded yak face was $250. Well, I had just gotten married, and we bought a house, so it it didn't feel like a good idea to drop that kind of money at the time. After all, I had a loose one, and I've never really been a collector of carded vintage figures. But Christmas 1998 came around, and my dad bought me the figure. I was overwhelmed. It was a fantastic gift. My dad was always good for some awesome vintage Star Wars purchases, though. My Sears Cantina Adventure set with the Kenner Baggy Blue Snaggletooth Christmas 1997. My Minton Box Droids A-Wing? Christmas 1996. We had a good run. Now as a side note, because of the rarity of the Canadian Power of the Force carded release, the Yak Face coin in and of itself is quite collectible. When I find them up on eBay, which isn't often, they usually go for about $250 or so. Now yes, that's just the coin. Not a loose Yak Face figure with a coin, but just the coin. Now, oddly enough, in the entire run of the modern-era Star Wars line since 1995, we have had only one Yak Face figure made. And of course, you probably know him best as the renamed Sealt Morai. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but that's kind of what it looks like. He was originally released on a green card in 1997 and was shortly repacked in the Freeze Frame Slide collection. Since then, nothing. I was really hoping we would have gotten a, a new yak face in the recent Hasbro vintage line. How cool would it have been to have gotten a Return of the Jedi carded yak face with all the pink highlights in the bubble. That would have been awesome. I'm still pulling for that line to return and do all the cards and figures that never were. Doing all the Power of the Force characters and the respective film cards, for example, would be sweet. Now, should you be interested in adding Joe Yak to your collection, you should be prepared to spend some money. A loose Yak Face in good condition will run you about $175 to $200. A graded one with a pretty good rating is going to be about three dollars to $400. Now, it's so rare that you actually see a carded Yak Face for sale that it's, it's really hard to get a good read on how much it costs. The Canadian Power of the Force coin version is, of course, going to be a lot more money. It's far more rare than the TriLogo version. However, I've not seen one for sale in a long time, but I would imagine a relatively good condition one is gonna go for probably about twenty five hundred dollars or something like that. The trilogo version is more obtainable at five to six hundred dollars mint on card and maybe about eight, nine hundred dollars for a graded one. Now the Power of the Force II version from nineteen ninety seven couldn't be any more obtainable. It would run you maybe two, three, four dollars on either card. It's actually a good figure, a must for the job of the HUD diorama. It's what Arnie would call a three and three quarter inch statue though, as it only has five points of articulation, but the sculpt and deco are excellent. Now speaking of five points of articulation, I wanted to comment on the new toys that Hasbro's getting onto the shelves. Most of you who are looking are no doubt finding the new Mission Series, Saga Legends, and the Black Series figures at toy shelves. Well, I for one have been really excited for these Mission Series and the Saga Legends figures. In particular, I picked up the Mission Series Jango Fett and Darth Vader. Now, for a vintage fan, these figures take me back to the Kenner line of the 80s. That Vader could totally have been put right onto a 1985 Power of the Force Kenner card. But, you know, this is basically the same amount of articulation that we got on all of our Star Wars figures all the way through 1999 or so. Now, you probably know that I have often griped about there being too much articulations on figures from time to time. I hate it when a figure has such fine articulation in those skinny little ankles that they can't even stand upright. But even I loved it when we first got figures like those Power of Force 2 Comtech chip versions of Greedo and Han that had knee articulation for the first time. Finally, they didn't look ridiculous sitting on the Cantina backdrop. So I'm a big fan of these figures. I can't wait for the C-3PO, the R2-D2, and the Han Solo figures to come out. In fact, I've said this all along, even when they started the vintage cardbacks, that these are the figures that should have been attached to those great vintage cardbacks that we've been getting the last couple of years. Okay, okay, hold it, hold but, it, Jerry. What are you doing? Uh, uh, hey,
3: Jonathan. Uh, dude, what, what are you doing? I'm in the middle of my segment. Yeah, uh, I noticed. Now I understand that you're talking about these figures, but but Jerry, where did you find them? Well, you, you mean the,
6: the 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 mission series figures, the Django, the Darth Vader? Mm-hmm. Well, I I I found them at Target. Okay. Where in Target?
3: In in the, the, the toy aisle. Okay. Now now go with me here. When you were in the toy aisle, were they on something? Um They
6: were, you know, hanging there in the aisle for action figures.
3: And what were they hanging on, Jerry? Um, um Pegs. Ah, yes, and as I'm sure you know, I happen to have a segment of my own on Star Wars Action News called On the Pegs, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to ask you to, to kind of keep to your side, buddy. Yeah, yeah, this is awkward,
6: isn't it? Um, but, hey, you know, Jonathan, we all, we all love your segment. Your segment's great. Yes, On the Pegs. I mean, you're... You bring us all the news. But you see, I'm not not doing a figure review, per se. I mean, I'm not even really talking about the line. It's just that these figures are sculpted and articulated like the old Kenner figures. So what I'm covering is vintage from a certain point of
3: view. A certain point of view? Maybe a certain vintage viewpoint. But you're totally on my turf, man. Hmm. Well,
6: uh... I guess paybacks being what they are for the little thing
3: back in May. So, hey, while you're here, what do you think about these toys? Well, I'm actually glad you asked. I was able to pick up all the Saga Legends and Mission series a couple of weeks ago before uh, Celebration Europe and San Diego Comic-Con, and I have to say I agree with you. I really, really like these sculpts. But what's more, I also think that these figures are great for kids. I picked up as I said this whole line and I gave some of them to my boys and they really really like them. It's like when they stopped worrying about the articulation, they got a lot of detail in the sculpts and actually my youngest son's favorite figure out of this new line is one that you already talked about, the Django, because he's standing in such a way or he's posed in such a way That looks exactly like a lot of the promo materials from Episode Two.
6: You're absolutely right. I mean, in fact, they have that same image on the card, and it looks it looks just like Django right after he shoots that one Jedi that's about to you know strike down uh, Count Dooku. I mean, it's it's like a little. I think Arnie was the one that coined this. You know, when you don't have the articulation on these figures quite like we've been used to in the last several years, they're kind of like three and three quarter inch statues. And you know what to some degree I'm okay with that this that Django looks like he came just right off the television right off my blu-ray and it's just like sitting right on my shelf and I think it's a gorgeous sculpt and I even like the fact that he doesn't have a removable helmet I think that actually helps the look even more because you know they got to sculpt that helmet over the head and it just it never looks right at that scale and kudos these these figures I think are looking great
3: no and I I know we've heard a lot of griping from the fans about this line or these two lines. But, you know, for those of us who are collectors, I think that we have the Black Series, both the three and three quarter inch and the six inch, which are, are wonderful in their own right. But these really do fit a niche because we have to remember that these are toys. That these are for kids. And if the reaction of my boys is anything, uh, they're a success. Yeah, I mean, and and Jonathan, I don't know how
6: you feel, because I mean, you're 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 quite the vintage collector yourself. I mean, I am I'm just so giddy with these figures. I, I it, it feels like the 80s to me again. I feel like these figures are really kind of really tugging at at the strings of what's vintage and what's all you know pure and holy and, and collecting for me. I mean, it's just the figures that I first got passionate about, and I just love that some of these characters. Are being done up this way. It's just it's it's really working for me.
3: Is it is it doing anything for you from the vintage side of your collecting? Well, as you know, I've been kind of spending this summer completing my vintage collection, and I was looking at these new sculpts and thinking that these would look really good as sort of almost like, as you said, a continuation of what we got from seventy eight to eighty five. And I could see if they were did episode one, episode two, episode three putting these on the shelves right next to my vintage figures, because they do kind of carry on. And hey, Jerry, I'm not sure if you were aware of this, but last year, Hasbro released a couple of battle packs that kind of dabbled in this lower articulation, higher sculpt thing that they're doing now. The first one was the Bespin battle pack, and that one had a Darth Vader, a Luke Skywalker, and a Boba Fett. And again, these are just, I'm looking at them right now, they're gorgeous sculpt figures with, again, limited articulation, but they go really, really well with that kind of vintage feel. They also did a second pack of Duel and Naboo, which had Obi-Wan, Darth Maul, and Qui-Gon. And again, it's these look like they could go right into the Saga Legends packaging on their own. So I'm wondering if this was kind of like the... The first look at this, almost like kind of the, the prototype for what we're getting now. You know,
6: I, Jonathan, you, you're right. I actually really didn't notice that. I never picked up the Battle of Naboo pack because, golly, how many Qui-Gons, Obi-Wans, and Darth Mauls from Episode One were actually on pegs last year. But I actually did pick up that Bespin pack, but I never opened it. So I never opened it, but you're right. I was attracted to it because of the colors on, on Fed. I thought the sculpt of... Bespin Luke was pretty good. I thought the Vader looked good. Not that I needed another Vader, and quite frankly, I may I may even have that Vader somewhere and, and not even realize it, but I, I actually was attracted to it because of the sculpting and the coloring. I didn't even realize, not having opened it, that the articulation was limited to five points. That's really fascinating.
3: No, it it, it is, and I don't think you probably have this Vader, because it looks like it was a unique sculpt to this pack. And the thing that always kind of jumped out at me is anyone who knows me knows that i've kind of have a soft spot for the bespin luke and looking at this one right here he's got almost the identical coloring on his hair as the uh the vintage one from 1980
6: (laughs) now if i could just get someone to take that you know that kenner sculpt for like bespin luke and jedi luke's lightsaber you know what i i always kind of jokingly refer to as the billy club that he carried that was just all green and all yellow. Of course, they actually made a blue one, too, that shipped a little bit with the uh, Jedi Luke. If if someone could just cast and mold that same lightsaber in red, I would so put it with this mission series Vader. I think that would just be... That would be
3: awesome, yes. A perfect custom job. <laughs> well, Jerry, I want to thank you for letting me talk uh, vintage in today a little bit, and... You know in the future just just keep to your side of the fence okay yeah i th-
6: I think we've learned a very important lesson you know here in the last uh, couple months of what you own, you own what I own and so you know I understand where you're coming from now so i'll uh i'll uh, I'll try to play nice so all right everybody, hey, thanks for joining uh, Jonathan, thanks for uh, jumping in there and talking some uh, uh, five points of articulation goodness with me, and we'll turn it back over to Arnie and Marjorie and remember. We really do care..
1: Thank you, Jerry. Always great to hear you, especially now that you've got Jonathan crash in your segment. That's kind of fun.
2: So that is our show for this week. Now, we will not have a show next week. It's Labor Day, and we've got something going on that we're going to talk about on our next show. It's a secret. Hopefully, everything will go as planned. And on our next podcast, two weeks from now, we'll be able to bring you all up to speed. So have a good Labor Day weekend.
1: It's a three-day holiday for some people you don't have to work yep i'm not gonna work we're going out of town yep so have a great week
0: thank you for listening to star wars action news we hope you've enjoyed the show We want your feedback and suggestions for Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at swactionnews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at swactionnews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can also find Star Wars Action News on Facebook and Twitter. The links to our social media sites are at swactionnews.com. You can be on Star Wars Action News by calling our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI or sending an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at SWActionNews.com. All materials submitted become the property of Star Wars Action News and are subject to use on our show. You can find even more Star Wars coverage at our sister podcast, Republic Forces Radio Network, where we review each episode of the Clone Wars cartoon series. You can find that podcast at republicforces.com. If you're into Star Wars novels, check out the Star Wars Action News Book Club, where we read and review all the Star Wars novels. That podcast is at swactionnews.com. For more Star Wars collecting, please check out GalacticHunter.com, JediDefender.com, Jedi Archives.com, and YakFace.com. And we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. You can help support Star Wars Action News by making a donation using the Donate button at SWActionNews.com or by using affiliate links on the Star Wars Action News homepage when shopping online. Your support helps keep Star Wars Action News on the air. We also appreciate it if you would spread the word about Star Wars Action News. If you enjoyed the show, please post about Star Wars Action News on Facebook, Twitter, or your social media network of choice, or just tell a friend about the show. We would also greatly appreciate a five-star review written on iTunes. A link to our iTunes page is at SWActionNews.com. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, edited, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. The Star Wars Action News team is segment reporters Jerry, Brock, Jonathan, Nathan, and Steve. Graphic design by Chris. Image editing by Jay. Podcast enhancement by Andrew and Berent. Associate produced and podcast announcements by Brock. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. The show is created by Star Wars fans showing their love of Star Wars. Star Wars and all that the Star Wars universe contains is trademark and copyright Lucasfilm Limited, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company, all rights reserved. Until next time, may the pegs be stocked and the Force be with you.
3: We really do care. Do you want to say that together? Oh, we try it. Okay. I mean,
6: if it doesn't work, let then me, let me cue it with the and remember, and then okay. we'll try to say it together. So we'll turn it back over to Arnie and Marjorie. And remember, we, we really, really
3: do. Oh, sorry.
6: And remember, we, we really, really do... do care. And remember,
3: we, we really, really do, care. do care.
1: Well, you guys have all had a lot to say about what's going on in the Star Wars. Why
2: is that called a. These instructions sound to me like a. Is it. What's the name of that band? Groove is in the hole of the wing. Delight. Delight. I need these instructions read to be by Nipsey Russell.
1: It wasn't Nipsey Russell. <laughs> oh my god. Who was it? Bootsy Collins!
2: Oh, Bootsy Collins and not Nipsey Russell. How did I get those confused? But
1: they're two very different people. <laughs> Well, the Bradfordton Exchange sent. It's a Bradford Exchange. I don't know why I think Bradfordton.
2: Really great job. I suggest everyone go out and get this. It's a fun one off not move. There. no.